Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the TV Pilot's License, flight number 67, with service to Should Old Acquaintance and Pilots Be Forgot. We ask that you please fasten your headphones, secure your podcasting device, and remember, today as we remember, unfortunately, your favorite pilots being canceled, we may not be able to promise you a new flight, but we can get you a voucher for a free drink. Welcome to the TV Pilots License year-end celebration. Uh, I see drinks in hand from my co-pilots, Max Singer and Rich Inman. How are you boys doing today? And ever brought to by, should old acquaintances be forgot at the days of old Oh my god. How, how are you boys doing today? We're, we're ending 2023, going into a wild year of 2024 optimistic a little bit sad sad you had to watch a show that got canceled i, I want to hear those feelings i'm i'm so stoked that we're so we have the emmys and golden globes lined up at pretty much the exact same time but all the emmy shows are so much older because of the delays so just to like put it in perspective i can't wait for this at the emmys the bear season one is going up in comedy categories against the final season of ted lasso but the final what? season of Ted Lasso is going up against season two of The Bear at the Golden Globes. What? No, nothing needs nothing needs everything. We're all our parents using TiVo. Nothing matters. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! When well, are they ever going to change that? That has to be there has to be a different cutoff or something like that. Like you can't do something beyond the calendar year. Everyone uh, who remembers watching the first season of Ted Lasso it was during lockdown. Yeah, I mean. I, I'm definitely in agreement, Rich. It, something needs to change, right? Uh, but, hey, we just review shitty TV shows, and sometimes really great ones make their way across our desk. I will not have you talk about shitty TV shows after we just did Studio 60. <laughs> <laughs> well, Max, for folks who, oddly enough, found us on our summary of 2023 podcast, do you mind telling them what we're all about? Here at TV Pilots License, we break down and analyze the pilot episodes of some of TV's most famous, or in some cases, today's case, infamous shows. We break down how these shows came to be and learn how they are originally made, if they're effective pilot episodes and make us want to watch more, and if they could be made today. Go back and stream a full year's worth of episodes wherever you get your podcasts from. Check us out on YouTube to see our smiling faces. And if it is your first time flying with us, then welcome aboard. And Rich, uh, you know, this this week we decided to do something a little bit different. We opened up our DMs for an Ask Me Anything. Uh, were there <laughs> any questions or that really, you know, stuck out to you? Yeah, we we really uh, we really normally stick to a don't talk to us policy. Uh, it's a <laughs> lot of it's a very diva heavy podcast, but um, I would love to know personally if there's any shows that you guys are watching this past year, because we're about to go real negative on a lot of stuff. And I know people love the negativity. That's what they sign in for. Um, Cause you have to sign into Spotify. Uh, the, I want to know if there's anything that you're watching this year that was so memorable that you really loved. I, you know, this is obviously a year that was marred by multiple strikes and a lot of things being now all of a sudden the policy is completely removing certain shows from streaming in general. Whereas previously you could watch anything that was like ever made on like Peacock or HBO or anything like that. Now things are getting like really lost to the ether. What did you guys love this year, whether it's like an old show or something brand new? So I'll kick us off and say that I have already spoken about my love for the dropout network and dropout TV. Um, and I have really grown an appreciation for um, one of my favorite shows. If it is on its game changers where um, you know, you never know what the game show is. Sometimes they repeat, but Sam Reich is one of the greatest hosts uh, that you could have for something like that. And they get, a ton of quality people on. Um, and yeah, I think that this is the year that I really fell in love with a lot more creator friendly studios like dropout um, seeing things like, and this is going to sound wild, but like 
y'all remember Smosh? Because I've been watching a yeah. shitload of Smosh recently. Oh, uh, man. Since Ian and Anthony Padilla What's, are back What together. is Smosh for, uh, for those yeah. who are uninitiated? So, Smosh is a, um, it was a comedy duo back in the early 2000s. They were, they had their own website before YouTube became a thing. And then they put out, you know, sketches on YouTube when that was a profitable thing to do. And they just bought their company back uh, and are creating some genuinely great content uh, on YouTube, which is really fun to see. So this has been my year of really investing in creators who I'm enjoying to see what they're doing in a non-traditional studio format. And I'm excited to see what they do in 2024. What a great answer. Uh, and speaking of unprofitable sketch comedy, follow Dad Wagon Comedy on TikTok. Uh, for- <laughs> <laughs> That's the, you know what I, I want to say, too? Uh, shout out to the Dropout Reddit community, because I posted our episode on Total Forgiveness over there, had some of the best responses and best like engagement of anything that I have like shared to any particular fan community. Um they were an absolute great group of people and like actually not only listened to that episode, but like gave others a try too and commented on that post. So if you're still listening from the, from the dropout fan page, uh, thank you for joining. Max, what about you? I'm curious. I've been really working my way through sex in the city since we talked about it on the podcast. <laughs> oh, yes. Let's go. That's, yeah, dude. That's been far and away the show that we've covered that I've made the most headway odds since we did it um also just like so many things this year that i feel like really dominated the latter part of the 2010s and early part of this decade that we said goodbye to this year um shows like secession uh barry atlanta that i all really think stuck the landing and kept you on your toes not knowing how they were going to end i'm looking forward to seeing what all those people do next in the year to come um so yeah, that's that's been super super fun. Um, what about you, Rich? Yeah, R.I.P. Barry. What a great show. Um, I don't remember if it was in precisely this calendar year, but I was completely blown away by the first season of Severance. Um, I do really, Rich, really that was want seven the- years ago already. Oh, shit, <laughs> <laughs> I've been down in the office for so long I can't remember. Um, <laughs> I I really truly love that show. I think it was like an exceptional commentary on the work life balance or lack thereof in especially in this generation, and told through the lens of like a sci fi kind of thriller thing. It, it it was very very good. Um, also for talking about things that I like from the past that I just started like catching up on. Um, got into RuPaul's Drag Race in the last like couple months, which has been welcome amazing. We've been Amazing. Uh, I have never wanted to be friends with anyone more than Miss Vanjie. Uh, she is, she's so goddamn hilarious. Um, and then obviously, you know, if we're talking about best possible episode of the season, uh, for, for the podcast, it's obviously the amazing hanging with Mr. Cooper. Um, uh, that was a truly, <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> what, what a, what a tremendous show that is. Uh, if you can't, uh, I will. I, if you watch this on YouTube, so you can see me winking at the camera on that one. Yeah, and um, I will. I will say I watched a ton of Scandal. I know that episode only recently came out, and go back listen to that. Karama is a delight. Uh, she is our Shonda head for sure. Uh, but that is genuinely such a fun show to watch. Big time. Have a glass of wine. You know, have an edible if you're into that sort of thing and just sit and watch great acting and people eating up scenery. Yeah, take an edible and watch a show about DC insiders. That won't <laughs> fuck with your head at all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jeff just started queuing on again. Oh, oh God. Uh, well, don't worry. That's not the last time it's going to come up in today's oh uh, episode. <laughs> uh, so, Rich, thank you for that question of the week. Um, so, Unlike our normal episodes where we pick one show and we give you all the history and all that fun stuff, Max, Rich, and myself have all set out to pick a different show that came out this year or came out around this year and the majority of the show happened this year and then got canceled (laughs) in the same year. Um, So, (laughs) Max, why don't you lead us off uh, by taking us back into a fun time with Grease Lightning, Leather Jackets, and the Pink Ladies. 
Greece is the so word, this baby. was a huge year for IP inspired TV shows. Just taking yeah. things you Lawyers. know and love Lawyers. and try Lawyers. to turn them into <laughs> other things. Also, just for the record, uh, Rich alluded to this. There were three different shows I considered for this week's episode of the podcast, and all three of them, despite premiering this year, have been removed from their respective platform already. They have been erased from the world already. It's so sad. Like I, one of my favorite shows of the past couple of years has been "I Love That for You," which is uh, a show that was starred Jennifer Lewis and Molly Shannon. Um, Matt Rogers, one of my favorite people is, uh, Max is going to see him tonight. Jeff saw him a couple days ago. Uh, they're on it. That is also at risk of being completely wiped off. I just bought the full season so I could have it, uh, because it's now going to be almost completely gone on every platform. And if Apple decides to remove it, even though I paid for it, it's still going to be gone. Studio executives want us to live in a world where we cannot go back and rediscover John from Cincinnati. Thank yeah, you. I know. I know. <laughs> Uh, and also, your eyes, sheeple. Also, a shout out to Diary of a Future President um, Alana Pena, a friend of mine, made that show. It's amazing, and Disney just took it off, even though it won a ton of awards. What? And so, like, fuck off, Disney. We're gonna talk about one of your shit shows that you made and uh, put on your fucking platform instead later. Oh man, Jeff's hot. All right, let's dive into this. Uh, so today, I have picked <laughs> from Paramount Plus. Greece, Rise of the Pink Ladies, and their pilot episode, We're Gonna Rule the School, which uh, aired on April 6th of this past year. Uh, just really briefly, the show was created by Annabelle Oaks. It is her first time working as a creator and showrunner, but she serves as a writer and producer in shows over the years, including MTV's Awkward, ABC's Downward Dog, USA Sirens, uh, a little bit of Minx, its first season over at HBO Max, and Netflix is Atypical. So this show, Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies, I'm going to say it in full every single time, <laughs> was originally developed at HBO under the much better name of Rydell High, and it was going to be one of the first series to launch on Max. They even gave it a straight-to-series order. However, there were some leadership and board changes at HBO. A new chief content officer came in, and he axed the show, and it moved to Paramount Plus amid that turnover. The show began filming in January of 2002 on a series order and aired all 10 episodes this spring and summer. This show actually has some interesting ideas. There's something in, in there that I like. It is a show about like coming of age in high school and outcasts. It actually has some really good ideas about like fighting sexism and misogyny and racism and like dealing with protecting your culture versus assimilation in the suburbs in the middle of the 20th century. Okay. Um, but it gets bogged down by a lot of other things. Um, so we open on our main character, Jane, just getting absolutely finger blasted in the back of a car at Makeout Creek. Oh my God. This is, oh, I did not expect this. Okay. Wait, why and did you roll up your sleeve? That was a bad time to roll up your sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> Max, what are you doing with that hand? <laughs> Easy, buddy. So from there, we get to know Jade's going to be like the uh, the Sandra D, the Sandy Dabowski, or Sandra also, depending on whether or not you treat Grease, you know, the musical or the movie as being the true property. Um, and she's got a new boyfriend named Buddy, who's like a football player, like Rydell Jock, and he gives her her jacket to go steady. So from there, we cut to our first big musical number. The show is a musical. And it is a reworked version of the Frankie Valley Grease theme song from the 1978 film with the entire ensemble doing this massive song and dance number at a drive-in. It's the last day of summer before school starts. And we meet no fewer than 50 characters in oh this God. number. We so Go ahead, Jeff. So if you're not watching the YouTube, as Max is explaining this musical number, you see me like getting really deep into it, being like, oh shit, I'm in. I have never seen Rich more disinterested in hearing well, about the okay. my life. I, I, I have never historically been a fan of Grease because I think the sexual politics in it are like horrifying, but I did go to the school that Grease is based on. I don't know if I know if I told you guys that. I went what? to the I went to the inspiration for Rydell High, the guy who wrote Grease, 
originally went to Taft High School in Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, it's based on the Chicago suburbs. That's amazing. The original, uh, the original 1972 musical. But we're beating we're beating so many people. It isn't until about halfway through this show that I remembered it's called Rise of the Pink Ladies and realized who I'm supposed to be following because we are meeting people's full families. We're spending a lot of time meeting the T-Birds. We're meeting all these people. For a little bit of context, this show takes place in the 1954-1955 school year, which is four years before the events of Greece, both the musical and movie. Mm. Um, and over a period of time, we meet the T-Birds who are really, really trashy in this version. And all they want to do is get Blotto and hook up with chicks. And there's a lot of like, really show me the difference. Comments. Show me the difference. Um, there's a lot of crass comments made. All of the musical numbers are the worst part of the show. Oh, no. Um, They were all written by writer-producer Justin Tranter, who was also part of the band Semi-Precious Weapons in the 2000s, and he's a big pop music producer. And the issue that I have with the songs from a non-musical theater perspective is that they all just sound like auto-tuned pop songs. They all just kind of sound like Megan Trainer or like b-sides to like jesse j's bang bang like none of them sound good for a musical theater head what kills me is that none of the songs actually give you characters wants or emotions they're just telling you exactly the thing you're seeing on screen and they don't advance the plot so every time these numbers happen i get really sucked out of the show it's a rare example of a show that i wish wasn't a musical. Now, most shows, I think, should be musicals, <laughs> but this one, I actually wish wasn't. Um, general thing of this is at the drive-in, Jane, our protagonist, and Buddy, her awful douche boyfriend, are hooking up uh, a girl who's a part of a popular group called the Soches, uh, which I was watching the show with subtitles on, so I thought they were called the Socks for the first 40 minutes or so. Uh, she sees Buddy and Jane hooking up, starts a game of telephone that spreads all these really nasty, extravagant rumors about Jane and makes her a pariah at school. Jane, through various antics and happenings, links up with a few other girls who feel outcasted for whatever reason. And by the end of the episode, they form the beginnings of what this girl gang is going to be at Rydell High through a big motivational speech at the student council elections where she rallies anyone who feels like school should be fun and Rydell's not working for them to like stand up and push back against it. And then we get a big title card that says Rise of the Pink Ladies. Um, Other things I have with this show and why I think it doesn't work, it is an hour long not a TV hour. Mm. It is just an hour nope. long. And it just doesn't flow. Like, there's really good ideas in it, but it's too long. They're drawing from too many plot points. The other thing that kills me with it is that it is so dependent on Easter eggs to remind you what you're watching. Mm. Um, examples of this include, at the very beginning, we meet... Uh, assistant Principal McGee, played by the wonderful Jackie Hoffman, um, and a bunch of kids tell her, you're never going to be Principal, Assistant Principal McGee. For those who know the movie Grease, Principal McGee is the principal in that show. Mm -hmm. Um, They make references to uh, like very specific lines of dialogue from Greece that are well known. There's uh, the T birds are all in jumpsuits, fitted like fixing up a junky car. They have a big musical number where they like, they do the choreo where they make a human car again. Wait, uh, a, a human thing from car? The movie. They like could they like fix their bodies to look like they're the parts of a car. They they oh, do a dance step okay, like that. Okay. Got it, um, got it. Rich, have you ever seen Human Centipede? Now, just imagine that, but a car. <laughs> but with wheels. <laughs> uh, Jane, our, our protagonist, we meet her middle school sister, who's a real fast talker, who's been dubbed by her friends in middle school as Frenchie. And we meet Frenchie's best friend, 
Betty Rizzo. Um, we're just, unfortunately, at that point, I just wanted to see the Grease people in middle school versus these new people. Like, I just wanted, like, the Ned's declassified, like, middle school version <laughs> than what I was getting. Um, <laughs> and then my biggest wait a minute moment is there is a Jewish T bird named Shy Guy, and I did not get to audition <laughs> for him. <laughs> Oh, Max, Max, we know you can play 16. We know um, we, we know you can. No, no one else in this show does. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so like, listen, there is a really good idea at the core of this show. It It's filmed exactly like Riverdale. It's the exact same color palettes and lighting just with like bigger budgets at a higher film rate, which gets a little distracting at times, a little too glossy for me. If this were a TV hour or even better, uh, like a primetime 30-minute kind of thing, I think it could have real potential because the the messages and what they're trying to do are timeless stories. It just gets so bogged down in everything else. I also realized when I was researching this that Grease, the musical, came out in 1972 and is based on the 1958-59 school year. Grease, the movie, came out in 1978 and it was based on 1958 that would be like us doing a period piece nostalgia show about 2003 which is probably why i like the oc so much yeah yeah it is uh yeah so so the oc the oc is our grease i've realized (laughs) so max i'm just curious and this yeah any questions as we look at post-mortem of this show is there any other changes other than like maybe the tv hour that you would consider that maybe could have been done to save it. I just wish they had let it gain its own identity instead mm-hmm. of making it so handcuffed to the IP of Greece. I think this is a problem with a lot of big studio stuff right now where it's so reliant on Easter eggs and references instead of character development and telling the story and telling the jokes that you can get distracted by it. I, I think that there are clever ideas and some interesting characters in it. I just wish they gave it breathing room to form its own identity. It feels like that they're kind of trying to mimic how people our age or like a little bit younger, like talk to each other, that we talk to each other in frames of references or memes or jokes or pieces of media that we all saw, things like that. But ultimately, I, I think the biggest red flag that you said, Max, was that there's 50 characters and they all tried to to jam them into that hour when very clearly you could have had consistent surprises and like nice moments connecting you to the Grease IP like throughout the season and it shouldn't have just been reliant on that one. And I did also want to mention it feels really weird that they called the Jewish T-Bird Shy Guy because Shylock is like a very like uh, it's a very prominent, like anti-Semitic. Oh, geez, I, didn't even, I I didn't even think about the Shakespeare of it all. Me, yeah, and, yeah, and and uh, yeah. So that's like that immediately went sideways for me. But I, I mean, in terms of like the connection, in you know, we just did Riverdale with John Marco. Did it feel like it was like an homage to the IP at all, or like what was there? Because Riverdale full left turn. There's nothing, almost nothing related to Archie at all in it. I I kind of wish it went for that more. It's it's playing to the rafters. It's such mm. a big musical feeling show, and it just it never gives itself room to to breathe. It feels like it's playing at an eleven the entire time. Whereas Riverdale, it it drops breadcrumbs. We meet Josie and the Pussycats in the pilot. There's the reference of like Archie being into music. We get some characters we know, but it's. It's subtler. It's like the difference between Jeff just being mad that they made the old teacher a sex pot versus deliberately saying to the assistant principal, you're never going to be principal. Wink. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, Max, thank you for taking, you know, a non-TV hour to watch a beloved musical get trashed. I did Grease four times. I've played every single T-Bird except Danny Zuko. It was my right to review this show. <laughs> let Max play Danny Zuko. If there's anything to take home from this episode, let him do it. All right, Rich. Uh, you went in a little bit of a different 
musical avenue sort of thing. Oh, uh, we let yeah. Rich talk about the hottest show of the summer. Yeah, yeah. it was hot in some ways. Yeah, uh, yeah, and also nothing will make you feel less comfortable about nudity than this show that I covered. Obviously, I'm talking about the hit HBO show, The Idol. Uh, I watched all of it. Um, <laughs> oh, no. oh, I'm sorry, all of the pilot, all of the pilot. Oh, uh, <laughs> I, w- I was about to say you did way more work than we did. No, I have heard that the show takes a very far left turn compared to where the pilot leaves off, which is like an interesting choice in itself. Like there's not much of a good cliffhanger on this. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the show. It's created by Sam Levinson of euphoria fame as a collab project with Abel Tisfaye. Is that how you pronounce his last name? You could just say the weekend. Okay. <laughs> his yeah. name, he goes by the weekend and you know, I, I love the weekend in the sense that like he became, he was one of the first people to become extremely popular with a very DIY, like pop music sound. And, you know, a lot of his stuff was very underground until like he exploded. And I will say they didn't need to make this and, or I I'm, I'm super (laughs) excited. I'm super excited that they gave it a try, but it's not, it feels very much like they're just trying to capitalize on the euphoria success. Uh, Sam Levinson uh, made euphoria. It's also the son of, uh, of executive Barry Levinson, we're not going to get into the Nepo baby aspect of it. Uh, a lot of people love Euphoria, but um, yeah, this show had the HBO social media hype train all over it. I feel like so many people watch this show. Spoiler alert: only two hundred thirty-two thousand people tuned in for the very first episode live, um, which is, I think, very little f- even for HBO. Like, that I is- think the Succession pilot got like I think like seven or eight times that that following um the entire show went from june 4th to july 2nd so it didn't even make it a full month and i guess they did plan that because it is like kind of a mini series type situation there's like i want i think there's five episodes maybe six um each of them are an hour long um the first two episodes of this show first two which is two full hours of this show uh, debuted at the Cannes Film Festival, which is the most insane thing that I've ever heard. It's so the ego and the confidence it takes to bring a fucking pilot of TV to Cannes is so insane to me. I don't. You're just I in a yacht in the south of France, like the fuck is this? I know. <laughs> they're like, they're like it's, it's two hours. It's technically a movie. Uh, <laughs> But okay, so the first episode, the the pilot is called Pop Tarts and Rat Tails. Already, no, um, <laughs> cut that shit out. And if you didn't think that uh, the Depp family has been through enough this year, uh, here comes Lily Rose Depp being uh, very blank behind the eyes and naked the entire time. Um, it is okay. I'll give you a little synopsis. Jocelyn, her name is Jocelyn. It's like one word. That's her pop star name. Uh, is a pop idol who resolves to to reclaim her title as the sexiest pop star in the United States after her last tour was canceled. Following a nervous breakdown, she begins a complex relationship with Tedros, a self-help guru and the head of a contemporary cult. I'll tell you right now, they don't get into the cult stuff very much, but they do get into uh, him being a club owner and her one night out while she's preparing for this tour. They go to his club she he isolates her on the dance floor and drugs her drink um it is, and to get close to her it is extremely fucked up um this entire show is just like what if the worst people ever were just like doing all the talking and oh, I, I love <laughs> yeah. that well here's i mean the problem is okay so it was hard in this first episode not to make a comparison to miley cyrus and britney spears and just the sense that like sure they allude to this main character being coming from like a kid's show. And then she is now this like very young, like sex icon already okay, extremely yeah, problematic. That, that's like, yeah. Miley Ariana Grande is in that kind of mold too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's very much like where this goes. And a lot of the topics, you know, a lot of the topics are fascinating to me. That covers bodily autonomy, mental health, revenge, porn, commodification of stardom rejection of social media commentary cookie cutter pop music like it's actually very 
it's a lot of very interesting subjects that this pilot cl- uh, like mentions. And the cast is absolutely insane. Lily Rose Depp, The Weeknd, Rachel Sennett, who if you haven't seen Bottoms this year, I would mm-hmm. I would highly, highly, highly recommend going to see Bottoms. I do feel a little weird that she did that movie about being Hasidic Jew or an Orthodox Jew, and she's not Jewish. Like she's the protagonist in that movie, um, Shik- or Shiva Baby. Shiva Baby. Shiva Baby. Yeah. yeah. Um, Troy Savon is in it. Uh, Susanna San, Hari Neff. Uh, honestly, one of the best male vocalists of our time right now is in it. Moses Sumney. If you haven't listened to his music, I highly recommend it. If uh, if you want to skip this show entirely and just go listen to Moses Subney. I really recommend doing that. He's fucking phenomenal. Um, Eli Roth, Hank Azaria, Dan Levy, Jane Adams are all in it for the people like, you know, for the, for the gen X comedy crowd. Um, so the show is completely stacked with like extremely competent and good and funny actors. And it is not funny at all. And it is <laughs> like, and that, does I mean, that Hank is Azaria like, do an accent? Oh yeah, he plays an Israeli guy. Uh, oh, he plays an, he of plays an Israeli right. talent right. manager. So yeah, he's, he's got to do it. Um, I even Hank Azaria could not bring me into this show. It's just for the first twenty five minutes, they do not leave the house that they're in, and there's no act break at all. There's oh, no. It's just a flow of just like thing after thing happening. It's very like it's it's not there are cuts in it there are visible cuts in it but it feels like they're very much trying to be um like birdman style shooting of like, like they're trying the one to hide take the creatively not even that they don't try to do that but the style is like that where they're just like going from room to room this entire time she's like okay i'm going from this photo shoot i'm going to um I'm going to choreo rehearsal that kind of thing it takes us 25 minutes for an e- for even one break from that and it's just okay. So I, I wrote down three word bullet points for the entire synopsis of the show. Um, yeah, wait, photo shoot. Oops, Bo- boobs not okay. Facial photo leak. Yes, uh, that facial. Um, come forensic files. Erotic <laughs> dance break. Webster's defines bukkake. Basic clubbing montage. Weekend straight creeping. Uh, the weekend at this point has very like, where's my hug vibes. You know what I mean? Oh, like, no. you know, that guy, um, yeah, it's like really, it's really, it's really messed Rich, up. You just wrote, you wrote the world's worst rupee cower poem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Then it's, uh, uh, Oh, thugs. Uh, Oh, drugs. It's a conspiracy. Um, distrust girl boss reporters, uh, weekend creeps harder, weird foot rubs, mediocre pop songs 50 shades grosser dangerous choking why okay so (laughs) there is very clearly a um there is a moment of this where he's very much like i could tell he really responded to 50 shades of gray just like really responded to the bdsm aspect of this to have his character just be like really creepy but seem really deep and it just like it feels really awful also the the shots and colors of this very dark very similar to euphoria euphoria is also in a very similar lighting tons of strobing lights which like i watched this at night and it like really fucked with my with my eyes um uh yeah they make like him look extremely evil uh okay i will leave it at this because uh, it covers it does like a really good job of isolating a bunch of different topics that I think are very interesting, but does them in such a bad and kind of like superficial way that I didn't want to keep going on it. Um, You know how there's like an arc of like pop musicians where they're like, oh, I'm the unknown person, you know, come come follow me because I'm like, I'm going to be a star. Mm-hmm. And then there's like, all right, now it's party time. And then right after it's like, oh, here's the hard part about being famous. And then and then like, okay, it's party time again. And then they become like mature and start doing songs with Tony Bennett. Um, This is not about Lady Gaga in particular, but this is very much in the uh, the weekend is now hitting his. Oh, I've been famous for too long. Being famous actually really sucks. And here's why that's the stage they're at right Mm -hmm. now. And it's very, very clear that this is why he made this. Um, I do have t- 
two amazing lines from this. Um, number one is Twitter is calling her the human cum sock. Uh, Eli Roth delivered that one. Uh, and then Jane Adams, if you leave, if you live in Sioux city, Iowa, you are never going to meet a girl like Jocelyn. She's not walking down the street. She didn't go to your high school. She didn't work at the bar or the diner and she did not marry your best friend. And on the off chance she did, she's still never, ever going to fuck you unless she has some very serious mental problems. And that right there is why mental illness is sexy. And that is a real line from the pilot episode of the show. Delivered so it like sounds maybe, like you love it and have no notes on how yeah, to do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it sounds like nothing should be changed. They, I, You can't believe why they didn't get renewed for another <laughs> miniseries season. You, um, you, know the, you know the phrase, show, don't tell? Uh, they can't stop telling. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I don't think they could show these things on TV. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> That's why it's HBO. It's not TV, Max. It's HBO. That's right. That's right. All right. So um, we're we're two, we're two for two on uncomfortable sexualizations and shitty pop music. It's like the the way that Lily Rose Depp can like kind of go blank behind her eyes is really really unsettling, and I can't tell if it's good acting or if she just is that way. And it is like they lean on that a lot for like, oh, this person is like in a really bad place. And it is like super uncomfortable. I like I'm so down for someone saying like, hey, fame isn't cracked up or isn't as cracked up uh, as it or for what it's supposed to be. Um, but this is not this seems like a, like kind of a sexual passion project for the weekend. So, Rich, I've got a question for you. Something that in like music shows and films where there's like a fake artist or a fake band supposed to be famous, that's really difficult is a you have to believe that they're as big as the world of the project's making you believe them to be, and B, the songs need to slap. Do you think that they do a good job of making Jocelyn feel as big of a star as they're trying to tell you she is? This was actually the biggest problem with Studio 60 in that the show itself wasn't good. And we mm -hmm. talked a lot about that in that episode, but... um they actually found a really clever workaround to writing like a really good pop song. And it's not like the weekend couldn't do it. He can obviously do it. He's done it many, many times over. He makes like some of the best pop music, but uh, they cover that up by saying Jocelyn's having like an artistic, like revelation where she's not connecting with the music that she's making. Cause it's all for the, for the record label. So the song that she makes, the only song of hers that they actually show the entire time, because uh, Lily Rose Depp is actually really solid at choreography. So sure. she's like actually quite good at that at that portion. So I, there is a belief that like, yeah, she could be a pop star. It's like really good. Um, I would say she dresses uh, similar to Miley Cyrus or maybe like kind of like an Ice Spice level thing. Um but the song that she makes is like noticeably mediocre. And the reason that they do that is to show that like, oh, she's not actually really connecting with this as an artist. So oh, they found like a pretty clever workaround. It's not a bop. It's not a good song. Um, but they acknowledge that in the episode. Interesting. That's a great um, question, though. Yeah. And I guess, Rich, I'll ask you the same question that I asked Max in if you could make one change to try to save this show. Ooh. What would you do? Um, I would change the weekend's arc entirely. Um, there at, after this pilot episode, and I know we're only talking about the pilot, um, he becomes like a very manipulative like cult guy uh sure. to Lily and starts trying to take over her career. It's very similar to a situation that like what was the doctor that Brian Wilson had around him all the time that was like giving experiment giving him experimental drugs? Charlie Manson. Yeah, that was the one. I don't want to say that guy's name, so whoever it was, you know. Dom the one saying Manson. all the bad things today, I know. <laughs> Dr. Charlie Manson. Um, but yeah, this guy, he becomes that for them. And I've been reading the synopses of like the other episodes, and it's not very believable in the sense that like, I feel like there's too many people who would try to stop this guy from being around her. Um, and yeah, I just think like, the, the commentary on her being a pop star and what that is as a commodification of her as a performance artist, as a child turning into her like sex icon, adolescent and adult years um, 
I think that's a good story. I think that is like that could be told well. I think the aspect of the weekend coming in and basically fucking up everything and putting the attention on himself feels a little bit unbelievable to me. And I would just try to change that entirely. That's a great question. Yeah. So sounds like a blast. <laughs> I, I can't believe. I mean, look, are you going to see a lot of butts? Hundred percent. Hundo P. If butts are your thing, the idol. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're two for two on butts. We're two for two on shitty pop oh. songs. Jeff, are you, are we going to be three for three? So let's go back to two thousand four when it's Nicholas not <laughs> when Nicholas Cage said, <laughs> "I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence." But no, in all seriousness, Jerry Bruckheimer teamed up with Jim Koof, uh, whom you might know from Rush Hour or maybe Snow Dogs, and also, do you guys remember the movie Taxi with Queen Latifah? This sure guy, do. This guy made that. Um, yeah, but with, they, with Jimmy Fallon action comedy star. Yeah. That's right. They also teamed up with a duo known as the Wibberleys. Uh, that is not the only time I'm going to say that name during okay. this. Uh, and they came up with the idea for National Treasure. Uh, the movie was a box office They didn't hit. come up with it, I promise. <laughs> box office hit. $100 million uh, Yeah, dollar the Freemasons came up with the idea. Yeah. <laughs> Open your eyes. Uh, $347.5 million box office. It led to a sequel. And then there was a series of prequel books. So in May 2020, when, you know, there was a global panini going on, uh, it was revealed that uh, Bruckheimer couldn't let a good thing die. And he was actually working with the Wibberleys on creating a new version for the modern youth of National Treasure, uh, which then brought us to December 14th of 2022 with episode one. That brought us to January 6th, 2021, <laughs> when you, a group of ragtag uh, Americans Rich, tried to steal back the Declaration funny, of Independence. But there is a moment in this show oh, no. that I thought, oh no, I think we might be dealing with some <gasps> people who have some very specific thoughts no. about how January 6th happened. Oh, so let, no, Justin Bartha's character went QAnon? <laughs> so so let me explain what happens in this show. We open <clears throat> on Harvey Keitel. Uh, yes, if you forgot, Harvey Keitel does play a character in the National Treasure series. Uh, his character's name is Sandusky, and he starts giving us this prologue of, hey, this is the treasure we're looking for. It's the Pan-American um, treasure by the Aztecs and the Incas and all of these ancient South American tribes basically collected all of their stuff to all their gold and treasures together and hid them away from inquisitor, uh, from invaders. Right. Um, cool. So be it. There are people who are trying to hide this treasure ever being found from treasure hunters. We meet a man uh, who tries to save his family. They get threatened and it seems like this dude gets off. Um, there's a noticeable necklace. And then we see that necklace on the chest of a young 21-year-old who is in a prison jumpsuit. Uh, it turns out it is just an extremely elaborate escape room. So big synopsis picture of this show. This has nothing to do with the original cast of National oh. Treasure. Nothing at all. What if I told you... We thought that what's going to connect with the Gen Z youth is puzzles, uh, because that is all this show is about. It's about four Gen Zs who are going through school, who happen to stumble, literally stumble upon this gigantic treasure uh, and this treasure hunt. And not only was I surprised to see Harvey Keitel in this, but when I saw Catherine Zeta-Jones in the wiggiest of wigs, what? putting on... Now, keep in mind, Catherine Zeta-Jones is a Welsh actress, but she puts on the worst but Jeff, British... she dips beneath the lasers. Yes, she she puts on the worst, the worst British accent I have heard in my life. I am including all of Mary Poppins. I am, I am throwing that in there that is included. And you might be wondering, Jeff, where's the plot? What happens in this show? Nothing. Jeff hates Nothing. Julie Andrews. Oh, Everyone man, knows Julie Andrews from Cleveland, Ohio. That's wiggy. Yeah, it is the wiggiest of wigs. I'm going to put a photo me, of Catherine Zeta-Jones in this blonde bob wig. Uh, she is our oh, major no. villain in nope. this show. 
Um, she is trying to erase history. Yeah, the while real also... villain is her stylist. Yes. Oh, um, oh, like, oh, folks. <laughs> the the thing that I found with the show because like I absolutely understand why Disney got excited about this pro this see this series because it is taking something that's super beloved that was really popular in the mid two thousands and trying to revive it for a new generation with new characters. Uh, adding a spin in that our main character is an undocumented uh, Mexican-American who bears that constant threat of possibly being deported. We get this huge speech of, I grew up sleeping every night with a suitcase underneath my bed, knowing that today could be the day that it's my last day in America. That's like a literal fucking quote in the show. And the problem is with that powerful of a statement that affects so many people in our country today I felt no empathy because it was just sort of thrown in. Um, the cast is some of the most unlikable fuck fucking people I have ever seen in my, there is not a single character. The problem is we see Harvey Keitel. They try to instantly discredit him by being like, Oh, he's a Freemason, but also like he's got dementia. And it's not that he's got dementia. It's that he's, really really worried about everyone around him because he's been carrying all these treasure secrets for years now rich i mentioned QAnon in january 6th uh -oh. there are two lines that were said in this show that i literally and they said these are the lines that we are going to stick with and we are going to stand with as like our main things one of them is sometimes you have to do things that other people think are wrong or unright for the betterment of all. No. Nope. And I literally looked at my wife wasn't even watching this with me. I looked around to look at someone and say, did they did they just say that? And I don't what's, love what's, it. The, what's the Jebediah Springfield quote? Do you remember? Oh, I, I don't remember. Oh it, fuck. Hold on. It it's all of this like it's a lot of this idea of like the government doesn't exactly know what they're doing. You can't trust the fed. Um, like there, there is a lot of that sentiment that is thrown in and it is heavy handed. The, the Jebediah Springfield quote is a noble spirit embiggens the smallest man. That is, that is, that's very much a Jebediah Springfield quote. That is so funny to me. One of oh, our, one of our great founding fathers. They I, also, I couldn't agree more. They also love referencing to the idea that this country was initially founded by a group of criminals because people thought what they were doing was wrong at the time. And like that is instilled in your fucking mind throughout yeah, the entire- Yeah, that's not Australia. Uh, it's just, it's one of those things where I will give this show credit. They definitely thought, what if we took the fun puzzle solving, but then put in modern Gen Z problems like not having enough viewers on your YouTube or not knowing if you can date your best friend. And then also a few fun puzzle moments because like at the end, there is a three minute puzzle that is solved and it is, it's, it's fun. It's delightful. But I was just like, cool. I would like more please. And there's nothing. Um, with that being said, before I open the floor to questions, I decided to torture myself <laughs> and go to the last episode of the show and watch the final 15 minutes because this is a 50 minute show. One thing that I will also give it credit for the cold open for the show lasted 15 minutes. They definitely hired the people who did game of Thrones to do the actual intro um, because it's beautiful. It's the most beautiful thing they do in this entire show. It's okay. gorgeous. Um, and the music in the show is actually also very good, but the final 15 minutes of the show, I was like, let's see how it ends. Because if you remember national treasure has an amazing ending for mm -hmm. the original, um, this show. And I texted max ends like a wet fart. It is just, there's not that much noise and it stinks. Uh, uh, can we get and the sound effects guy in here? Can we get the, uh, can we get the FX guy to give us the, can you, can you expand on this wet fart, Jeff? Like, is it, do you think. Because obviously a show that gets cut prematurely, either they know in time or they don't. And so does it feel they, like they didn't know? They were able to finish the series, right? They oh. were able to finish the season. But they make a 
really just like a big stretch of trying to be like, oh, but we're going to go on more adventures. And Catherine Zeta-Jones isn't dead. She tells you that you're going to pay for making sure that she doesn't get the treasure and it has to like go it's, into it's a the museum. kind of wrap up where if this is it, we have a clean enough ending, but it also sets up the potential for more in the future. Yeah. And supposedly like I did the research on it because I was watching this, I watched this final 15 minutes and I was like, what the fuck is happening right mm-hmm. now? Like who in their right mind thought that this show was going to go on for another season. And the Wibberleys, were convinced that it was going to happen. They already were talking about taking this show to California and then possibly to Asia as a new set and standard. Um, And supposedly other members of the cast of the original uh, movies show up. Um, If you're wanting more Harvey Keitel, they literally kill him off in the first fucking episode of the show. And you don't see him on screen. He definitely had... 30 minutes on a Wednesday. And what about John Voight's character? Do they bring he, back John Voight's character? John, I think he died in the movies. Unfortunately, no John Voight. Uh, but yeah, like it's, it's sad because I love national treasure. And I think that there was an opportunity to do a really cool fucking show with this. If they just like, I think one of the themes that we've said unintentionally, when we picked these three shows is there is a Riverdale feel to we need to watch good-looking 20-year-olds on TV uh, so that I can just watch the screen continuously. And I got so bored. I got so bored so quickly. And there was there, there weren't enough puzzles. I wanted more puzzles. I, I just want a lot of puzzles. Give me puzzles. Uh, questions? Yeah, I, I guess I'd kick this off. So I, I love national treasure and i love that it is a it's a pg movie that is also an adult movie it's got a stellar cast nick cage diane kruger justin bartha begrudgingly john voight uh who are all playing the kind of silly thing as being very serious and very committed to it and that's what makes the adventure feel exciting almost like indiana jones the american politics do you think that the show either captures that same like grounded committed feeling of national treasure or makes attempts to at any point, or do you feel like it's just not in line with the tone of the first film? So this show suffers from a lot of what Greece pink rise of the pink lady suffers Mm. from where they think they can replace that with Easter egg madness. Um, There, there are like small tributes to, uh, historic artifacts that were lost in time. Um, they use one scene to sort of be a gigantic band-aid to do that. Um, there's some conversation... There's really a lot of weird plugs for the Freemasons uh, in this show, which is strange. Uh, like, they literally show the Freemasons website uh, okay. on on the show, and they're like, oh, yeah, they're... Yeah, like it's a big secret society. You could just go to www.freemasons.com. Yeah, they, they literally... Follow us one, on freemasons.com. At one point in this show, they are like, oh, we're going to show how many exactly how many Freemasons live in Louisiana, because that's where our show originally takes place. They're like, there's 19,732, I think is the exact number they told us, because it's just a wild random number. And I'm Sounds just right. Like, did the Freemason sponsor making this show? Does, is Disney I taking guess so. Freemason money? Um, but like, they always Max, have Jeff open your eyes. We Max do. To, we do. <laughs> um, to speak to your question a little bit more i think one of the things that this suffers from is like in the original national treasure there's that sense of there's just enough american history with that fictional aspect added to it that you're in the suspended disbelief right this lacks all of that they try to take two minutes of storytelling at the beginning to talk about the Pan-American treasures and be like, yep, you believe every fucking thing that we're going to say now. And it's like, unfortunately, you have to give us more than that. Rich, what about you? Any questions? Yeah, I mean, personally, what this made me realize is how much national treasure relies on the same. 
I don't know, pride in American government that we did have in like the West Wing era? Because you said it came out in 2004. Yeah. Yeah. It's very similar to that. You know, as an adult, I'm like, what happens if the Declaration of Independence gets stolen or like destroyed? Fucking nothing. Like, so <laughs> we, we, we have like, we have congressmen getting felt up at Beetlejuice the musical right now. It's 20, it's 2023. Like anything goes. Wait till you hear what they're doing in the Senate. Blame (laughs) musical theater for this. It's not musical theater. I'm blaming musical theater for musical theater is so horny. I've done Beetlejuice the musical four times. God damn it. He's never played Beetlejuice. Danny Zuko. Every character in the waiting room, except for Danny Zuko. (laughs) But you know, God, I, I love that we do this episode because it does during the year, we talk about some TV shows that we absolutely love. And, you know, in this example, here are some that maybe you can skip. Maybe if you hate yourself, just hate watch them uh, a little bit as some of our guests have done some of our previous shows. Jeff, your show is still on the platform it premiered on though, correct? It is. You can find it. Uh, they They want you to find it. Uh, they also want you to watch a. They left clues. Yeah, they did. They left plenty of them. Um, so it's in the search bar. We did. There are um, some in-flight questions. We did do an ask. Can, me I, anything. can I talk about all the shows that we love this year? Well, uh, yeah, I, I would love to. That is one of the things that was actually asked as a question. Um, we have, uh, one of our questions was asked of based off of the shows that you did this past year. Are there any that you plan on continue watching or possibly keeping with you in 2024? So, Rich, I'd love to pass it to you. Any of the shows that we watched this year or did this year that you want to keep with you? Yeah. uh, Studio 60. uh, Bad Girls (laughs) Club. uh, The 70s House. uh, I Want to Marry Harry. Uh, Real Housewives of Orange County, uh, Seventh Heaven, uh, <laughs> Bones, <laughs> uh, Big Bang Theory, Gem and the Holograms, uh, Max, Star Wars, The Clone you? Wars. <laughs> God, um, I mean, look, I, I already said that I've been bitching Sex in the City, and I definitely will continue to make my way through that show. Um, I I do to eventually watch more of Friday Night Lights. I've seen the pilot like three or four times at this point, and I've never clicked on episode two. So I think I'm due to finally give that a try. That's very funny. So I got a very specific um, question because, as you guys know, I'm watching Scandal. It's great. Highly recommend. Um, I I might start hate watching La Brea uh, just to see if Transformers eventually show up. Um, I will let you both know and I'll let you know the exact episode it happens. Um, But in all honesty, one of the questions we got was, why haven't we done the West Wing? Do you hate me? And we don't hate any of our frequent flyers. uh, But I would love to ask you. I'm sure if we got to know you a little bit better, we'd probably hate a couple of you. But (laughs) what is a show that you're looking forward to doing potentially in 2024? Ooh. Obviously, West Wing is going to be fun. Um, I think when I'm talking about classic pilots, uh, Cheers, 30 Rock, um, Mary Tyler Moore, I think would be a couple of the exciting ones. Maybe even doing Severance. I think Severance would be fun. Let's fucking go. (laughs) Let's go. For for me, I know that this past week, uh, Variety put out their 100 greatest TV shows of all time list. So we've got a nice little... Uh, sounding board for the weeks that we don't know what to do. I'm also really interested in diving into networks that attempted one scripted show and then promptly gave that up and never mm. tried again. Uh, e and ESPN are two that come to mind. Uh, if anyone knows if the Weather Channel ever did a pilot, let me know. <laughs> oh no, I wrote a sketch about that. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> don't blow my sketch premise. And then... <laughs> I will say that I genuinely, you know, I did a little bit of research. I want to talk about the history of shows that got canceled this year, some of the stats behind that. But two that are coming up next year are Big Mouth will be ending after eight seasons. And then Curb Your Enthusiasm is going to be ending after. And what we do in the shadows. Yeah. So there's a lot of shows that I 
that are very near and dear to my heart in very different ways that I can't wait uh, for us to talk about on the show. And if there's a show, um, this is just that natural plug. If there's a show that you want us to be doing in 2024, shoot us an email, leave us a voicemail, all of those fun things. Get in my DMs, uh, get in Max's DMs, Rich's DMs, leave Max suggestions for La Brea alternate titles. Uh, but other than that, I want to talk a little bit about the history of 2023, and this is going to be super quick. Uh, 174 different TV shows were canceled in the year of 2023. 45 of those were after a single season. We did lose a lot of shows that uh, had long runs. Uh, That includes the Goldbergs, NCIS Los Angeles, Real Sports with Brian Gumbel after 29 fucking seasons. One of these things is not like the other. Uh, The Flash... Riverdale, uh, and some of the shows ending next year that officially were canceled after this year or not given a renewal. Archer, Kirby, Enthusiasm, The Crown, Big Mouth, Stranger Things, Dr. Phil, Judge Mathis, and The People's Court. Uh, that was a fun one. And Rachel Ray. Rachel Ray had 17 seasons. The People's Court, 26 fucking seasons of that show, which is insane. Good Lord. Now, I am curious if either of you can answer this. What network or streaming platform canceled the most TV shows this year? I'm going to say Disney Plus. Max? I'm going to say Fox. Netflix with 26 different shows that That's were a lot canceled of shows. In the, yeah, that is, that is a lot of shows. That's a lot of TV. Uh, so... I also want to congratulate some TV Pilots licensed alum, including Survivor, Grey's Anatomy, 911, and Taskmaster for all being renewed for another season. My God. Um, and yeah, that is the history of 2023. Uh, and as our flight comes to a land, gentlemen, I'm not going to ask you if your show should have gotten another season. I'm not going to ask you if you think that Uh, You'll continue watching after the pilot. I just want to give you each an opportunity to say a few parting words to the year of 2023 uh, before we sign off. Max, any words? Uh, uh, Look, may may everyone be able to get back to work and may there be fun, new, creative things on the horizon in 24 that we we don't know exist yet. Rich? Nice. Um, I want to say thank you for everyone who stuck with us to the strike. Uh, thank you to all of our extremely amazing guest hosts. We've had so many awesome people come by the show this year. Um, I mean, some people who have been in my life, some people who we just kind of met for the first time when we, when we started talking to them. Uh, I am super, super grateful for them. The strike was difficult for so, so many people, and we didn't get to talk about the shows that probably would have gotten us better SEO or more excitement from the fan base or anything like that. But if you're listening to the show or if you want to like tell other people about the show, we're extremely grateful. We're going to have some big changes coming in 2024. And I mean, personally, I'm going to put a lot more like hours into marketing the podcast and maybe finding a network. And, uh, you know, it's just like some reassessment of my own goals. But, yeah, I, I really appreciate everyone who's been with us for this ride. Uh, people who have shown up to guest with us and not only like came prepared, but like had like a really fucking great time with us. That was exceptional. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And for myself, I want to thank um, not only our frequent flyers, uh, because y'all are great. You, uh, put a smile on each of our faces, literally any time we got an ask me anything or an in-flight question, or even just a voicemail or a DM. I think that it brightens up each of our days. I want to thank our guests for coming on a podcast that, you know, might not be the biggest and the flashiest, but we're going to make sure you have a damn fucking good time while you're Mm -hmm. here and maybe you've met three idiots that you'll keep around in your life a little bit longer. And then finally, I want to thank our partners for dealing with our nonsense, having to watch some of these terrible TV shows with us uh, when they could be watching much better stuff. Uh, And yeah, I think that I can't wait for 2024. 2023 was great. 2024 sky's the fucking limit. Yeah. Uh, And let's solve this puzzle 
which National Treasure didn't do enough. Uh, well, with the plane light landing and the flight at a land, um, boys, where can folks find you as we move on into 2024? Oh, you can find me at the Frosty Palace having a cheeseburger and a Coke with my boys at the T-Birds. Uh, you can find <laughs> me on all things social media at Maxwell Singh. Rich, what you about can- you? You can find me on Twitter defending Jocelyn till my last dying breath. Uh, and also on Instagram at damn that's rich. You can find original sketch comedy, which is uh, unprofitable, but you can change that. Please change that. Uh, <laughs> uh, from Max and myself at uh, dad wagon comedy on TikTok. And you can find me, you know, just solving puzzles on my own free leisure. <laughs> Love jigsaw ones. Don't know where I was on January 6th, though. Uh, Sorry, I can't remember that. No, in all seriousness, if uh, you're looking for me, you can find me on social media at RunJeffRun. You can find the TV Pilots License anywhere you listen to podcasts, as well as social media and YouTube. If you have a question about the show or for our next episode, you can call us at... uh, Excuse me. If you have any questions about the show or for our next episode, shoot us an email at tvpilotslicense at gmail.com or give us a call at 213-290-1713. Make sure to watch out for our Instagram for a sneak preview of some of our upcoming episodes. But with this plane landed for the year of 2023 and our seatbelt signed off, we look forward to flying the bright skies of the TV world with you again soon. And until then, Happy New Year. See you in 2020.